0: Watching our podcast. Here at Spirit Consulting, our services include business strategy and human resources consulting. In HR, we offer executive search, executive coaching, and work psychology consulting. Please visit us at spiritmco.com, where we fulfill our clients' dreams virtuously. Enjoy your show. Welcome back to the Leading Virtuously podcast. So excited. This is a uh, momentous moment for us in that this is the first mayor that we have on the show. So, so excited to have our guest today. Eric, who are you?
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me, Chris. Love love your podcast. Uh, I'm Eric Alegria. I work for Providence Healthcare uh, as the uh, Chief of Affiliate Operations and also the Chief Operating Officer over the uh, Providence Health Network. As you mentioned, I happen to be uh, a mayor in my own city of the Rancho Palos Verdes here in California. And I also am adjunct instructor at the University of Southern California in uh, public policy and and an aspiring PhD in in the process of concluding his dissertation. But uh, more importantly than any of that, uh, father of four kids, eight and below, 8642, and been married for 12 years to to my wife, Christine.
0: That is awesome. And, I uh, love the way that you finished that as well. And, uh, I don't even know how, how one finds time for sleep and all the things that you just uh, listed there. So, so delicate
1: balancing act.
0: <laughs> Very good. So, uh, Eric, can you tell our listeners how you got to the leadership position that you're in today?
1: Yes. I, you know, I'm going to share a little bit about my journey. Um, but I think the most, uh, Important message to, to share ultimately is that my, my journey, like anyone really, has been just a process of trying to figure out uh, what God's called me to do and and how I can best serve the community around me, um, and that has translated, of course, to my work in healthcare. I've been in healthcare now for fourteen years, although trained in sort of public administration and thinking that I'd end up in that realm, um, I was drawn into healthcare a series of years ago and. Uh, inspired by the opportunity to uh, provide and improve access to care for uh, communities in need. And and that's a big part of the work that I do in terms of working with physicians and networks and all that and here in Southern California. um, In terms of my role with the the city of Rancho Palos Verdes, um, long ago, I felt this draw to contribute to my community. Uh, on a voluntary basis in a more in a more meaningful way which led to me running for uh, city council and and uh, ultimately having the opportunity to to be the leader of our city actually at a very important time of course as we look to sort of begin to con- conclude uh, the the pandemic and begin that very important recovery process so it, it's really been a just a day-to-day journey of responding to God's tug and call for me to Feel that the work I'm doing is uh, contributing to the betterment of the community around me, and um, and that's really sort of what's led me through uh, the healthcare experience as well as experience in local governments um, uh, as volunteer and as a, uh, as a commissioner in various sort of capacities over time. Um, and I guess I would extend the same commentary to my passion and enjoyment of, of teaching and coaching the youth, and so I. Although um, it's certainly not been a focus in terms of my overall time, uh, when I do have time to work with students as I do through the uh, University of Southern California, uh, I get great joy in seeing like individuals, just like yourself, Chris, who are just kindred spirits who are feeling that desire um, to make the world around us a little bit better.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing I have two follow up questions on that. So the first is around scope uh, of your current role. Can you speak to kind of like the, I know you mentioned like the chief affiliate officer and COO. Can you speak to kind of like the breadth of either like operating budget or staff uh, that are under you, just so that people can get a sense of like the the command that you have in, in your leadership role. Sure.
1: Yeah. the 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 easy explanation I like to provide is is the chief of affiliate operations in particular, um, here in, in Southern California, Providence has uh, twelve uh, hospitals, sort of scattered throughout three different counties uh, down here, and amongst those and around those, we have um, around four hundred PCPs, primary care physicians, and um, over a couple of thousand specialists who are contracted, not employed uh, employed providers to Providence, but contracted with and in support of the patients and populations in those communities. And I'm in charge of the operations for, for um, those providers. And so um, I lend my support to them. I make sure that um, the ambulatory services that we're providing through those contracted partnerships is is optimal and that the quality of care that we're providing to the populations throughout these three counties. So Los Angeles County, Orange County, San Bernardino County are the three, um, is is as optimal as possible. And, And in that journey, I take great pride in ensuring that the networks and the providers we're contracted with are increasingly embedded in the communities of need. And so that that's really what inspires my work. Um, in terms of the breadth of of you know our our business, it's over a hundred billion dollar portion of the business, uh, just from a PL perspective. Um, but uh, and then the, the the department that I have uh, covers that Southern California region and is about thirty individuals.
0: Awesome, thank you. Well, that uh, that is outstanding, and and you know beyond just the work that you're doing in the you know public government. That I mean, just so important based off of the span that you're covering too. So so thank you for sharing in that regard. So I'm just really excited about the episode overall, Eric. And then the other question I had, I know that uh, you know in looking at your background, that I believe you had gone to seminary at one point in in your uh, in your own journey. Um, uh, and, uh, so, or forgive me, uh, in, in studying theology and, and, uh, just kind of curious about kind of like, I know you mentioned that oftentimes it's like been pursuing God and whatever he's been calling you to do is kind of the short summary to your career, but just kind of curious if you've been a lifelong believer or what that journey has looked like.
1: Oh yeah. Great question, Chris. Uh, and thank you for bringing that up. So I, I did, uh, pursue and, and receive a master's in pastoral theology from Loyola marymount University uh, It's been ten years since I concluded that that three year three year journey you know and I would say i've always been a believer um, i've always been a questioner as well and um, that's been an important part of I think my own sort of theological journey um, Simply put, I, I believe, I'm a Catholic, but I, you know, I would say I believe in faith and action. Uh, I believe in that, that, that critical aspect of us sort of having faith, um, leaving space for, for God in our lives to, to operate, function, and for us to perceive uh, his, his uh, constant presence. Uh, but it's certainly also a believer and as humanity that we should be taking steps to um, assert ourselves and provide actions and um, do all those little meaningful things that, that make a difference and impact in the world around us. And I think in my my sort of lifelong journey so far, um, there's been difficult moments because you, at times in that process, start to think about um, specific roles that you think you need to have or titles or things that really are unimportant and. This whole process has, in my life, I think, has led me to a very simple conclusion, which is, you know, it's it's the simple things in life that that um, and the simple actions that we can take that can be um, so incredibly powerful. And so the way that God and the Holy Spirit acts through us is uh, of tremendous significance. And I think sometimes, uh, just giving my own personality, I have to remind myself to take a little pressure off and say, you know what? Um, I need to have faith in God um, it's not necessarily uh, all these complicated actions that I need to take but I just need to demonstrate love and every everything that that I do and the words I express and, and act uh, in that fashion and so I'm a big believer that it's the it's the embraces with people it's the asking how you are and being sincere about it it's the um, Understanding of other people's journey and the empathy to relate to others—that that really matters the most. So, regardless of what sort of roles we play, or professionally or otherwise, um, what matters most, I think, is we all assert and th- that our you know that we are interconnected, and that um, the way we treat each other matters a great deal, and that we need to take great care and, um, and doing that. So um, my theological studies, uh, I loved and enjoyed, and I hope through my professional life, I think over time, I'll have more of an opportunity to sort of utilize some of those um, skills and experiences. But, but it does translate to the work that I do. So Providence is a Catholic-based healthcare system, very mission-oriented. And so, for example, through that and through my work in the city, I feel um, God has given me this very unique opportunity to to care for a community around me and um, and frankly that gives my life great purpose and great meaning and that's what matters most
0: well thank you for sharing <clears throat> yeah it was one part you were saying of like you know I get this master's and then and then you know recognizing that you're not necessarily going right into like full-time ministry but that in essence, the work that you're doing from a business standpoint and being able to love everyone around us and to be able to bring the gospel and taking action in that way is in essence doing ministry. <laughs> and, it and, is. So maybe, and so maybe originally when you went into your master's, I mean, you might have had a different lens to what that was going to play itself out as to comparative to where you've been through the journey since then.
1: I, I think that's exactly right, Chris. Um, Your comment brings me back. I went to Gonzaga University for undergraduate um, Jesuit institution, had great experience and influenced heavily by the Jesuits and um, certainly the sisters and nuns that I I took courses with. And there's one in particular, her name was Sister Mary Garvin. Uh, She led a ministry uh, program that I was part of, and I I sort of talked her into, I thought at the time, Uh, Into allowing me to coach football as sort of a practicum of ministry. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the time, you know, I thought I was sort of coy, but, you know, she commented to me with great uh, understanding that, yes, indeed, anytime you're trying to share God's word and connect others to God through the work that you do, certainly Mm -hmm. indeed coaching or teaching or other things that I'm passionate about, that is ministry. So um, I think about her. A lot, uh, and and that comment has certainly informed my life, and um, given me a lot of freedom and acceptance to say maybe it wasn't God's intent for me to necessarily uh, be in a traditional ministry, if you will, as part of the, you know, more uh, closely connected with the church, but but also to live out my own sort of charisms and my ministry uh, in my own way um, through the business community and through my work in uh, my my small
0: city. It's interesting how God weaves these various themes. Last night I was talking to my nephew who's in the Marine Corps and uh, he's uh, in August going to be shipped out for his first deployment and he said that he's he's going through this this training right now and he said there's times where like he ultimately because it's so rigorous and getting up at three in the morning and 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 working until 11 o'clock at night that he almost passes out from time to time. And, uh, and he just said, like, there's just this massive amount of suffering that he's not comfortable. We're like, he just never experienced anything like this at all, living, you know, growing up in a bubble that we have here in Hinsdale, Illinois. Um, and so his comment on that was, you know, one of the things that keeps resonating to me is hearing Grandma Cookie, my mom's voice as she's stating like never never miss out on the opportunity to offer your suffering up (laughs) and uh so my wife and i were dying laughing about that (laughs) like how my mom has got like her her grandma pants on and and you know (laughs) a hardcore uh rosary prayer warrior and and yet like she she's just like impacting her 22 grandkids and and have these like little things that, you know, it's like basically like, as Jesus said, that like some seed falls on that fertile ground and starts to take shape. So like that nun probably like, if she would recollect back to that conversation with you, having like no idea the the impact that that would probably have on you at this point in your life, but uh, it's just so interesting how the Holy Spirit works in that way.
1: Those, those seeds get planted, Chris, and, and they have a lasting effect, absolutely.
0: So Eric, before we dive into the virtue side of leadership, I wanted to speak a little bit about some of your own, uh, journey. And, and so specifically, can you speak to some of the vices that you've had to overcome in order to amass the leadership capability that you have today?
1: Yeah, I love the question, Chris. I, you know, it's interesting. I think you'll find, uh, I'm going to try to connect your my vice and my virtue because, uh, I think they are related. So for me, one of, uh, one of the things I struggled with early in my leadership journey was, um, you know, I, I certainly strive to be very kind and understanding. And um, there is an edge to that, I think, by which you can go perhaps too far, especially when you're in a leadership role. And, you know, you're, you're, you're coloring your commentary to the, the team around you so much that perhaps the constructive feedback that you're trying to provide isn't really penetrating them in the way that you'd like. And so one of the, um, I'd say one of the key vices that I experienced early on was um, just struggling to have real direct, strong uh, communication about Mm -hmm. things that they could, you know, my, the team around me the people around me, what they could improve, which of course is an integral part of being an effective leader. And um, I, I, you know, I had to, to kind of force myself through the discomfort of having to have more challenging discussions and and giving people more direct feedback but um, that sort of led me to where I feel like I'm more have a stronger virtue now which is you know integrity and I think an aspect of integrity is being uh, honest with people um, hmm. and I think you're doing people a great early on I think I was doing some people around me a great disservice by you um, struggling to convey to them things that they really needed to understand, um, perceive, uh, digest within themselves, do some self-reflection and some self-awareness around in order to come out uh, stronger, uh, more effective, and better on the other end. And, and that was a real struggle for me, I, I recall, um, for, for several years early in my career. Um, and it's never perfection, but it's always sort of in that relentless pursuit of. Um, So I don't know that I would say I've sort of arrived, but I'd say I take now I take very seriously the role that I have to um, empower, uh, give great culture to the people around me. But uh, part of that is really being able to be uh, very, very honest about um, your feedback for the the people around you and the ways that they can think about improving. And, And I think I've certainly found that I can I can maintain who I am in those exchanges by coming off uh, and delivering my messages certainly from a, a loving place. And I think when you have trust and the team around you has trust and they know that you're trying to make them better, that they're more willing to to receive those messages. And I you know, my metric for professionals or non-professional success is um, has really not necessarily been, specific projects or business development efforts or different things. But my, my real metrics of success is how many people around me got better because of the leadership that I provided to them. And I'd say I feel very proud of the fact that I think that number has gotten, gotten bigger over, over the years and certainly in recent years. And I feel um, that I've certainly deepened my sense of confidence in delivering those deeper, difficult messages because they can be difficult to be the recipient of, of um, you know, really someone holding a mirror in front of you and saying, here are all your great qualities, but here are the things you really have to, here's your limitations. Here are your barriers to being an effective leader long-term. You have to take these things seriously. If you really want to strive to be this um, very effective leader, you're, again, within an organization, part of a community, or frankly, just part of a family. So with the young family, I'm, I'm now trying out these skills uh, on my, my kids to some degree of success and failure. But um, but I think being able to have that sense of uh, trust and, and love and honesty, and again, indeed, what I'm calling as a virtue, integrity in those exchanges is um, absolutely essential to, to really being an effective leader. And any effective leader to me is somebody that's going to build you know, in an enduring organization, something's going to last well beyond their time. It's going to continue on well beyond your time. and And I don't know that I've reached that point in my career yet. Um, I think if I were to leave soon, it you know things may you know not take too long to get back to where they were, but I'm certainly aspiring to have that kind of uh, an impact uh, in the various roles that i I feel so fortunate to play.
0: Well, it takes a lot of courage to be able to communicate that publicly. So I appreciate your candor in that regard and shows, you know, your, your self-awareness as to where your, you know, your own strengths and and opportunities for growth in your own leadership journey too. curious, Eric, as to why do you think that you've had some aversion to conflict management? Where do you think that stems from?
1: Oh, that's a good question, Chris. Um, Almost an existential question. I uh, I would say, you know, one of the things that pops on me if I've done any of those strength finders or or those sorts of assessments is harmony. So I am a big believer and I'm certainly big on team. Um, so, I, you know, I would say it certainly stems from a desire to have harmony. But what I, I've quickly learned is um, you really can't have, true lasting harmony unless you, you really do encounter those more difficult realizations, those difficult reflections, uh, whether it's you as an individual, again, or as I'm describing as part of a team, like you really can't get there fully and realize that full potential unless, unless you're doing that. But, you know, many of us, I would say I'm one of those people that loves to live just in harmony. And I think that was my real struggle early on was um, just uh, not wanting to um, step outside that. What I was perceiving at the time is sort of that harmony to to deal with real conflict or to again, to deliver very direct and um, substantive feedback to individuals on how they could uh, improve. So I think it really came from that. But I, again, as I said, I learned Uh, that real harmony, lasting harmony and and lasting teamwork and great collaboration doesn't really result without, you know, come out of uh, as an outcome without, you know, real uh, deep, meaningful exchanges. Um, So it was sort of the acceptance that, okay, I think that I have harmony, but I really don't. It's kind of avoidance. Um, And if I really do want that, I do have to develop the skill and work through it, um, and uh, provide uh, in, and represent and, uh, integrity in the organization. Yeah.
0: So Eric, you're not alone. I mean, I would imagine that, you know, that's probably one of the major <laughs> precursors to leadership, because it's so much easier just to be like, ah, I, I don't want to have that conversation. and I You know, this person might be rubbing me the wrong way, but I'd rather just like let it go versus having to deal with it. And, uh, and especially as we look at the way that the pandemic has shifted, the way organizations are showing up and, and people being remote, et cetera, it makes it that much even harder for different leaders to be able to manage their, their people, et cetera. And so conflict management is even that much more imperative and critical. So just kind of curious as to, I know you mentioned, you gave us a little bit about this, but intentionally, how did you kind of focus to be able to kind of like start to grow in this area of conflict management and being able to uh-huh. have these come like being more comfortable with these crucial conversations
1: you know a lot of it was experience um a lot of it was experienced both uh, for me personally and kind of my own bu- business endeavors um with experience came confidence um uh, and i have certainly had thanks to the you know the just the diversity of things that 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 I've been compelled to pursue and contribute to uh, a vast array of life experiences. And as time went on, I think that, as you said, there's an intentionality to it. You have to have that self-awareness and you have to kind of push through. Um, But the real driver for me was um, just knowing deeply within myself that I wanted to uh, be a very strong leader and knowing that, um, that as you said, conflict management skills are a true differentiating factor. If, um, I, and actually I would say it's a big part of my assessment process with those around me now, the, the directors and others that, that I work with. Uh, I, I really do take time for the interview process and through my mentor of them to um, help them work through that same journey that I, that I went through.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing in that regard. And I'm looking forward to hearing the ways that that blesses other people and people listening to this episode too. So we've uh, had you go through the harder thing, which is opening up about vices and, and you know, things that have precluded you from being able to reach a leadership, uh, you know, the, the tops of your own leadership journey. So now I just wanted to kind of hear what do you feel like have been things that have been, you know, gifts from God to you personally within your own leadership that have maybe been more virtues that have come more naturally or things that have allowed you to be able to excel to your leadership um, state? Oh, that's,
1: yeah, that's a great question as well, Chris. Um, I've certainly through, you know, I I I was, uh, played different sports for years, as I expressed earlier, you know, enjoyed coaching. So this idea of team is, always been essential to me. And I've been fortunate in my career to be part of some great organizations who all valued collaboration and that that, that really strong sense of team. Um, and I feel like I've been fortunate enough to excel um, in spite of the, the vices that we just talked through. I, I feel like I've been largely able to excel because of uh, my mission orientation to just a, uh, sort of a almost insatiable appetite to live out our mission. And, and in this case, of course, of healthcare, uh, provide, you know, r- really um, quality care to the community or in the work that I do in my city, um, make sure that all our residents' needs and, and wants are being understood and and that the direction of the city is, is positive. And I think I've been able to do a lot of that because um, of my ability to bring people together and, um, I take great pride in being an active listener, so um, I'd say that's a skill even I struggle with. But I'd say it's kind of been lost in modern age. Is mm-hmm. is what you're doing I'm right sorry, now? I'm <laughs> sorry,
0: what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> but that that ability to just
1: really active listen to the other people and understand where they're coming from, um, that real deep sense of empathy and trying to understand what, even though I can't put myself in Chris's shoes. What has your life journey really been like and and just really that shared humanity through that active listening is um, something I guess I've just always taken great pride in. I'd say I got it from my family, my sense of family I you know certainly had a very active and loving mother and and parents and brothers and and um, although far from perfect i I do take great pride in and trying to understand what other people's perspectives of the worlds are Uh, and in this time in our world especially as i we've talked about you know my experience in local government i'd say my observation of what's playing out uh, politically at a national level certainly speaks to this in my mind just uh, an opportunity for people to slow down and really try to understand each other and express great empathy. Through that empathy, I think we're, we're going to find ourselves in a, in a better place.
0: Awesome. So I was actually going to ask you this because you had mentioned that previously as, as kind of one of the skills that's helped you to, to grow previously when you were answering a different question. But what was coming to mind was just like, Okay. So what if someone's listening to this and they're like, all right, well, I understand that I need to be good and active listening because I remember like being a novice in sales and everyone was just like, shut up, you know, just shut up and just listen to people, like try to get all the thoughts out of your head and just be present with people. And, uh, that, that wasn't as easy as said than done. So just kind of curious as to how you've practiced mindfulness to be able to be present with people that are around you. Oh, that's a
1: great question, Chris. I, it's a challenge and it's it's a daily challenge. And actually what I've learned about myself, especially given just different commitments and responsibilities that um, I've been very challenged even in recent years because my attention span has been more limited. And, and actually the answer to that for me has been to not uh, give up on and to actively, uh, actively prioritize my own mindfulness. So... Uh, prayer of course is essential um lord knows i don't do enough um you know at the end of each day i right now i'm reading uh thomas merton's seeds of contemplation um Hmm. great read but just even if it's five or ten minutes each day carving out that time and luckily i'm in an organization that prioritizes this given its heritage and legacy but um you know a lot of businesses perhaps just aren't as focused on this so i'd say the answer for me has been to make sure i'm practicing my own self-awareness my own self-reflection and my own mindfulness because when i've done that work then i'm i have the capacity when i sort of filled that cup i have the adequate capacity to actually contribute to another but when i haven't done that work as you were describing you know i've noticed certainly for me my my mind is sort of a flutter. There's lots of things going on. I'm distracted um, and demonstrating and, and being present is um, incredibly difficult to do uh, in a real effective way. So it's really uh, self-care uh, from a perspective of mindfulness that I think is actually rather essential to being a, an effective active listener. And, and that's, that is a big challenge from day to day. But um, just like exercise for the body, that mindfulness for the spirit is critical to, to um, you know, our self-condition, uh, and, and, and it needs to be prioritized on a day-to-day basis as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Even if that looks like five or 10 minutes, it needs to be prioritized and, and uh, whatever way makes sense to people. I think that can be prayer. I think that could be music. Uh, that moment of, I like to just describe it simply as just stopping and allowing that space for God to, to surround you and be actively a, a part of your life, you have to do that. You can't do that if you're always acting and moving and in constant motion. You have to, to stop long enough to let it come in.
0: first seek, first seek the kingdom and all these things shall be given unto you so so yes I love that and uh it reminds me of I don't know where I heard this but I think one of my friends would tell me in, in ministry that that there was a guy that got inspired by monks and and so he like he told his uh his mom that he was going to go off into the mountains to become a, a monk and then by the early afternoon he was back and his mom was like what happened what happened i thought you were going to be spending your days fully in prayer all day and he's like yeah i just you know so i think that it's you know kind of a silly story but i think the, the the message holds true is like don't try to you know turn yourself into mother teresa overnight But if you can just spend, you know, just take one more little action into the positive to be able to, you know, going from no praying to just one minute of prayer a day to then, you know, just building over time that that you'll see tons of fruit from being able to slow yourself down and be more contemplative.
1: Oh, that's that's well said. Uh, And hopefully that message gets to all those busy uh, parents, mothers and fathers out there Mm -hmm. because I am with you and I. I know what that experience is like. <laughs> um, so it is a lot of self-forgiveness, and um, you know, really just dealing with what you you have from day to day. Some people legitimately only have very limited time to to practice that mindfulness. But I think my message is, you have to do it. Or or really, frankly, you're not going to be good to other people, and, and you're not going to be able to demonstrate um, or or interact with people and express empathy in such a way as to really connect with the humanity around us, with others around us, and and recognize um, that we're all interconnected.
0: Awesome. Well, before I uh, ask how people can be connected with you, Eric, curious, uh, kind of putting you on the spot here, if you'd be open to praying for our listeners that they would be uh, gifted uh, by God in the same ways that you've uh, received your gifts.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to. So uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I, I pray uh, to all of Chris's listeners that uh, they may find and embrace God in their daily lives, uh, that they may uh, seek God in all their activities and actions, and that God may speak through all of them. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Amen. Awesome. Love it, Eric. Uh, yeah, really inspired by you. And thank you for uh, all that you were able to share with our listeners. How can people get a hold of the work that you're doing?
1: Uh, sure. I, people can reach out to me at my uh, personal email, eric, ericd, E-R-I-C-D, Alegria, A-L-E-G-R-I-A, at gmail.com anytime. And Chris, I love your show. Love what you're doing. I think it's really special. So appreciate your
0: time as well. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for being a guest and look forward to continuing the dialogue with you as well, Eric. Thank you. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. (laughs) Just joking. The Leading Virtuously podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.